God, he's making me do it again. Welcome to the No Holds Barred Witchcraft podcast. Why is with that knobhead Liam? Um, and we're going to talk about the magic of bed knobs and broomsticks, I think. Substitutionary locomotion. How do you yeah, feel about that? that Disney film that both, both involves real people and cartoons. Remember when that was a thing? Yes. Do you remember Pete's Dragon? Did you ever watch that one? Pete's Dragon? No, I've never heard of that. There was a giant dragon that only the boy could see. That was one of those um, combined animation ones. So, I just rolled some magical dice that I was given and the number 50's come up and I have no idea why. So there we go. Anyway, so the um, Magic of Bedknobs and Broomsticks, possibly my favourite Disney film. That and Mary Poppins, both incredibly magical. Yeah. When's the last time you watched Bedknobs and Broomsticks? It's a few years ago, but probably more recent than most Disney films, because I haven't watched a lot of them in ages. Um, with it, with the exception of kind of the Muppets Christmas Carol, which I watch every year without fail, at least once. But um, but no, bedknobs. Knowledge is hidden in bedknobs and broomsticks. Yeah, well, I I like it one particularly because I like the concept. I don't think I I like the practicality of it, but I do like the concept of a a magic by correspondence course. I think it's an interesting concept of how the fuck do you teach something as complex as esoteric knowledge without speaking to that person directly and knowing gates because that way how do you get to know them it's quite interesting actually so in the film you have this fraudulent scam artist of a professor selling what's supposed to be authentic witchcraft correspondence course to a bunch of plebs one of which happens to be a lady eglantine price who ends up making the magic actually work yes now, in the real world, IRL, okay, which is very much adjacent and close to the digital world that we're currently living in, right? In the real world, what percentage of correspondence courses in magic and such are scammers trying to make money from regular people that want to learn magic versus actually real life magical practitioners? just failing to teach plebs i think it's a third option which is people that think they know magical occult knowledge and therefore teach crap because they don't know any real magic (laughs) do the people that they teach could the crap to make any of it work or not i think they could if they had some talent right kind of some natural practice could compensate for the bad teaching perhaps because we've had that before plenty of times we've dealt with practitioners who actually have learned really bad information but they still roughly get an occasional spell to work is this a poundland slash rajani job so for those that don't know rajanis and poundland are two extremely very cheap I imagine you can equate them to the dollar store, Liam. Not like the dollar store, I guess, in America, whereby, yeah, it's really cheap and they sell all sorts of stuff in it, but it's only when you take the things home that you work out whether it actually works. Either it's a complete scam and it's rubbish, so your electronics that you buy there aren't going to work at all, but they're cheap, so you don't really matter. Or they work really well and you got yourself a real genuine great bargain so magical misfires and such what is it is it that these people because what i've noticed is that some of these people are making something happen it just isn't nowhere near of the quality that they were expecting the manifestation to occur so is that 
teaching is that just the plebs or the people that are learning not really understanding it is it the teacher that's going wrong what it was going wrong because it, it it going back way back when i'd have probably been one of the people that would blame the teacher more than the student now having met plebs i come to realize that there really are genuinely really fucking strict people so it doesn't matter how how much you break something down, you can repeat yourself ten times in a row and tell someone not to do something for the reasons why they shouldn't do it, and yet they'll just go and do it anyway. So I don't know at this point. There's a losing there. Feel free. <laughs> I suppose it's half a dozen of one and six of another, though, isn't it? Very, very. I, I suppose nowadays there's more. There's more of it out there because it's too easy to set up a website or a podcast or a, um, you know, a dodgy this or a dodgy that, because yeah. there's so many kind of ready, ready-made kits out there, things like Wix or um, Squarespace or is the, the other big one, isn't it? I think Squarespace does all these kind of built-in setup with all the bells and whistles you could possibly ask for spiritual shop theme i believe probably yeah probably um because you see it repeated when you go just in different colors mm. whenever you go through the kind of catalog of various different things that are going on okay so bed dogs and broomstick one of my favorite films i did do an occult ramblings on it when um, the lady that played eglantine price ended up passing away did a special one-off talking about her being a great magical practitioner and inspiration and such. I don't want to make this a downer. We've covered ineptitude so many times before. So where can we go that might be a little bit more inspiring, but still staying well, true to the theme of like bed knobs and broomsticks and such? Well, I wonder if talking about kind of the Cochranite method might be an interesting one to kind of talk about this kind of idea of a set of magical leftovers being used as a as a way to make decent esoteric context and discover new ways of practicing even if it's not laws, following breaking the laws of gdpr and data protection reading someone else's mail is that what you're saying yeah that's what i'm talking about i think right i like that concept so what do you know of the cochranites that's a Cochranite addiction. Uh, addiction? <laughs> Oops, that slipped out. <laughs> the Cochranite tradition, not addiction. Those two words aren't even similar. So my my understanding is is more a case of um, that there are a series of left uh, letters left over from an actual correspondence course, but you've only got one half of the story. I'm never quite sure whether or not which side of it we've actually got. Is it his letters or the letters that were received that we've got? So I those think traditions this, have got this key, this this bloke called Roy Bowers, which people call Robert Cochrane, I believe, corresponded with a number of other magical practitioners, and there are several letters that are now kind of available to be you know seen online and such either way it was an occultist around the 1950s that kind of stood out as someone that seems to know what they're doing but that talks in potentially in riddles but are really just i mean it's someone else's letters so they're talking in specifics so it's kind of like well okay if you got two scientists in a room talking to each other would the average people be able to understand what they were both talking about probably not maybe a couple of words if you've got another scientist overhearing them would they be able to understand what they're talking about maybe a tiny little bit but what if the two scientists that are having the conversations are both you know specialize in neuroscience or something like that mm. and the other one specializes in uh i don't know robotics or something like that it's like 
one doesn't necessarily equate the other. So basically, inspiration, you've got someone very kind of famous, I suppose, in the occult world in the 20, 20th century, and what's going on? Don't know what's going on, but let's try and investigate. And it's inspired multiple generations at this point of people, some yeah. of which potentially back in the day may have known uh, Robert Cochrane. Roy Bowers, whoever. Is it one of the more interesting actual lineage traditions and such? Well, from the few, and I haven't met many, few practitioners that come from that area, at least I know that they do stuff. So I find that inspirational because they're actually doing magic. Would they be able to go and talk to someone else from their own tradition or from the, another lineage or someone else that's also read the letters? and agree with things or even have any of the same kind of ideas or have any of the same practices i'd say probably, probably not. not but they have some kind of shared inspiration or some sort of shared structure i suppose that's come about from this one practitioner in the 20th century but how does that relate to eglantine price though because you're talking correspondences because the difference is there is that the correspondence course in Bedlams and Brewsticks was created as a witchcraft school, wasn't it? So you got lessons through the post and you had yeah, to but, take lessons. But my point was more to try and make, I meant that in, in this, the guy that is actually selling the course actually knows nothing about magic. Yeah. He's copying and pasting from one single volume of which he doesn't have the whole volume, which is yeah. kind of the plot, sorry, spoilers, of the entire movie is is the fact that actually he stops sending out the letters because he doesn't have the last part of the book. Um, and therefore that's what she's going looking for, is to kind of go, well, my course has stopped. Why is my course stopped? Um, it's not good enough. I'm making um, so much good progress, but I really want to get to this particular spell. Like, if you were in that situation where you are following something like the Cochranite tradition, there he's not here to answer those questions. Um, he's not here. Like, you're making all those assumptions based on half a story. Um, and I think that's quite a, quite a beautiful thing to think about when you're comparing one to the other. Um, obviously, it's a made-up codex. I think it's called the Star of Astaroth or something like that which is, you know, they've stole a random um, a, a random demon from the Goetics in order to kind of name it. Um, but it kind of has a very relevant kind of field now with the likes of, like, you know, courses like the Quiara course or um, all these kind of, you know, I think even the goddess temple in bristol does some kind of correspondence course um you know everyone seems to be doing one in a world where you can do all these 25 dollars 25 quid buys you a, a course and a certificate that says you're a doctor in such and such um you know we are very much in the world of the correspondence course right now where it's not really a truly correspondence course. It's an AI that you're talking to, if anything, um, because most of these courses have got bots built for them um, where it will give you a basic answer. It's nowhere near what it w potentially would have been for these people that did these correspondence courses in the 50s um, or at the end of the 19th century, kind of going almost a century before, there were there were situations where you would have learnt witchcraft or at least esoteric knowledge via letter, um, if you're wealthy enough. Obviously, we're talking now, but you know, which when you compare to the classical world or the ancient world, you'd have never dreamed of doing something like that. Like the you know, this was occult knowledge that would have been hidden. The only way you were having that conversation would be as if it was in person and you were willing to take the pilgrimage to go and find some great temple somewhere and learn from the sages that lived there or, you know, um, back in the original versions of universities. Like, 
where you'd go and take up an apprenticeship under someone learned um, and absorb everything you possibly could. Whereas nowadays, um, you've even got books where you can, by the time you've read the book, there's a, um, a certificate in the back for you to fill in yourself um, to say you're potentially prolific at something, which, you know, all of that is a concept that blows my mind, really. Um, whereas you compare that to what Eglantine Price is doing in there, where she's adapting something, I think is the most important part is she's figured out a way to make them work. Um, and the reason I, I like that is because I find too many people take, because we live in a world with so many books and you can, you know, print them cheaper than toilet paper now, um, that actually the value of the written word has kind of gone away, even though people take things that are written in a book as gospel. Um Whereas once upon a time, your book had to be big enough to justify it being printed, like with a gripper's work. You'd have to have good backing um, and the backing of um, a publishing house really willing to print the paper, um, let alone kind of, you know, self-publishing after I watched this horrible TikTok the other week that just made me feel sick um of this woman giving a tutorial how to use canva to print your own journal through amazon associates and you just kind of like wow have we really belittled what's possible in publishing to you know um pre-prepared clip art um and publish yourself through jeff bezos publication kind of thing um without actually having to do any real work yourself um sorry that was quite a a mind dump so pick out wherever you want to go from there liam and so um, professor amelius brown found a book he's not a real professor by the way but he found a magical book he did what a lot of people do in publishing nowadays like Llewellyn and such is they take a text and they repackage it he just did it way back when in the early 1900s or wherever it was supposed to be during World War II I think wasn't it yeah he took this magical book and he thought fuck it I can turn that into a correspondence course I'm going to go ahead and do that so he takes little bits he changes them as he said I believe in the film you know makes them you know a bit more jazzy and cool um and then sends it out in the form of specific individual lessons, which often will come with a physical object. One was a cat or a broomstick or whatever. So there'd be a flying lesson, there's a spell and a broom, and you're supposed to practice, practice, practice until practice makes perfect and such. Anyway, one of the students, we're never aware of how many students are actually on the course. It might just be that, you know, Miss Price is the only one that ever signed up to it where it could be what would be an interesting thing to explore is were there other people that got on the correspondence course and were also learning magic and were able to make it happen um, because she learned that spell from him to turn someone into a rabbit, fluffy white rabbit, wasn't it? Yeah. And everyone in the, basically all the kids, you had Amelia Brown, you had Price and all that, they all managed to, to, to do it or most of them managed to do it. So it shows that, you know, anyone can make the magic work. It's not like one of these TV series where you have to be born in a specific family and have certain blood or something like that. It's like anyone can make it happen. Um, but the interesting point is that obviously you took something and repackaged it and changed it, but the information's already there in some way, shape or form out there. You just made it so that it was accessible to people. Nowadays, we have that with the internet. Lots of things are accessible. Lots of ancient texts that aren't even in English. Professors and scholars will break them down and explain them if they're famous enough. You know, Dead Sea Scrolls, all those sorts of things. Then you can find resources and such like that on. You can find lots of information repackaged. But 
there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of eglantine prices out there as we've noticed no definitely not more amelia's browns than eglantine prices definitely i would be fascinated to i would i would find it really exciting to design a correspondence course partly because i think that you know it's the 21st century so we're used to all sorts of great things like videos and podcasts and all that sort of thing but there's something magical about a nondescript brown cardboard box or parcel coming through the post which you don't know what's in it you just know that it comes from a witchcraft school that is fascinating i like that i've received a package from someone across the pond as you're aware um, with some magical artifacts and birthday presents and such in which was lovely I loved that it was great but it did get me thinking that that is something that we don't get nowadays because the things that we get through the post are things that we order online we already know what we're going to get we certainly don't get mysterious shit arrive through the post unless it's a bill and even that most of that just gets done online nowadays doesn't it so I do like the idea of things coming through the post very much links to like the last century. Um, but it's whether you could design such a thing because most of the magic obviously involves a great deal of practice. It involves a great deal of actually doing. I think the one thing that you would potentially get from a correspondence course that you would not get from a book or an online course is that you have a month to do this. Say you get one thing a month. That means that that one month, you've only got that one spell. You can't turn over to the next page and go on to the next section. Mm. The problem is, is from what I'm seeing of a lot of these courses and stuff, they're either too heavy on the information and history and regurgitation of this is Alistair Crowley, this is John Dee, this is this person, this is that person, this is what they did, this is the Enochian system, this is that, blah, 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 blah. All of these things as opposed to like really honing in on a specific skill and fucking about with that specific skill for a week or a month or what have you. I think that there's far more practical value out of doing that. And the problem is with reading books that I've often seen is people always want to skip ahead. And with practice you need to go over and over something you've done like actual proper skilled work and learned things when you did like your degree and stuff like that you've done weaving you've done all the various other textile related things knitting you've done lace making you've done all that sort of thing i think that people can be spoiled by if all of that stuff was in a room where do you start is one common thing that people moan about with magic and also they start doing some knitting or some crochet or something like that and then all of a sudden they want to go and do some spinning or some weaving or something like that they don't actually get far with one specific craft so the correspondence course i suppose would force you to do and spend a, a fair amount of time mastering one skill I would say there's one thing that's going for it because that's what she did didn't she she might have had you know she might have been kind of where she was a widow wasn't she so she had a little bit of money I don't think she had a job but she had a secret like witch room where she'd go in and practice yeah how's a nurse supposed to do that though but works like hundreds of hours in the week more mm. hours than there are hours in the week don't know Got to break it down into really practical stuff, I guess. Yeah, I just, I wonder, I wonder how much involvement you would need to have for it to be effective. So, because my question would probably be, you know, is something like the Quiara course, or um, would you have to go through that kind of process? get people to do the first, you know, 10 lessons and then write you an essay to actually decide whether or not that was any good. Like, have they understand understood the information um, that's already been offered? Um, yeah. Before you even allow them to kind of buy a course, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, the quarry, of course, is an interview. The whole yeah. thing. You go through the whole thing. It is an interview. And the, it, she does state that, that it is basically putting information out there. You've got to compile like a, a journal, I suppose it is, to, to catalog that you've done all of the things and then present it at the end of the course. And then that then opens you up to join the community and take further education and stuff. The whole point of that is to get people on the same page so that they have some sort of common ground. But most importantly, I think, so that they don't waste the practitioner's time. If they've gone through all of that, and they've proven that they've done it, then they're showing a certain level of commitment that you don't get from people that say just buy a book and skim it. But it is interesting. Is this not what we kind of tried to do with the Witch Wars, though? <laughs> yeah, in some ways, in some ways, yeah, we've kind of delivered that in terms of the Witch Wars. Um. I never really thought about it like that, to be quite honest, but you are right. Like it, it does kind of do that where a task is set, you've got a month to complete it um, and we'll score you at the end. Like I can, ki I can kind of get behind that as a, um, as a concept. Um, I really do love the Witch Wars. I think we've learned a lot more about people in the community in like in our community that um i wouldn't necessarily have set something like that for them individually but yeah. kind of when you set it to the whole community and see they all start competing against one another and talking about it all the time then that has a so i suppose yes we kind of deliver a cor from that point of view a correspondence course but as a group so that's kind of teaching a class of people by correspondence course, which is yeah. which is a whole another dimension to itself. Um, the only difference I find with that compared to kind of, you know, kind of swinging by the, the Cochranite tradition part again is, again, that's a group effort potentially as a coven, figuring out something both individually and as a group. They can't correspond with the original writers of the letters but they can at least correspond amongst themselves um and i suppose whereas the witch wars they've got the option to kind of ask did you mean this or you know is this okay and having those correspond you know that kind of correspondence with us ra rather than kind of referring to um you know Ultimately, the the correspondence course doesn't exist in the Cock doesn't exist in the Cockneyite tradition, because there's no response. You are the one creating both the context and the response to it as a group. No, but the most important thing with that is that you presumably, because there are initiatory traditions that are associated with Roy Bowers, so you have a peer group don't you? So the good yeah. thing about taking one of our Thoth classes is that, yeah, you might be brand new, you might have never taken one of our classes or done any magic before, but you're in a physical location, in a room full of other people that are all doing the same thing, varying degrees of success and with varying degrees of experience. So you have a peer group that you can kind of watch and look over to the other table and see what's going on. Is not entirely like the correspondence course traditionally would be, you get something through the post and you do it and that's it. So it's nice to have in the digital world with the witch war stuff is that they they might not know who is in competing in the witch wars unless certain people give their, you know, thoughts, feelings and it's basically state that they're in it and give some insight as to what they're up to and that kind of thing. But you do have a peer group to a certain extent we obviously see more than the people that participate in the witch wars but it's one of those things i mean it kind of breaks my heart in a way but um there we go that's it for the regular edition of the no holds barred witchcraft podcast you can go on the patreon and listen to the extended edition where i get my heart ripped out
<laughs> so there we go. The Witch Wars and the Thoth experiment, we'll call it, is great in some ways. I found it quite upsetting in other ways. Because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. However, what I get very frustrated by is when the horse has been led to the water, they're looking at the water, and they're whinging at you that they would like a drink. <laughs> I really struggle with that. I really struggle not to, as I have before, maybe on occasions where I've lashed out a little bit because I'm only human. I forced that fucking horse's head straight down into that murky pool so that they get the idea of where the water is and maybe drown a little bit. <laughs> I let them go and come up to air. I've never killed any horses, you know, as of yet. But I've come close to it because I've really, really, really struggled and I really, 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 really want to take my frustrations out on certain fucking idiots. But there we go. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. We have created and tried at many different opportunities to make varying types of community with varying ways in which people can interact. So many people out there have craved it and said that that's really what they want. And yet many of those people have not put the money where their mouths are with regards to adding anything to the community whatsoever, which I find quite sad. With regards to people really, 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 really wanting to learn, we've created safe, um, timed experiment quests and things for people to do in the form of witch wars. Very few people do them as compared to the people that listen and that are on the Patreon and various other things. And yet they also continue to moan and say that they want a progressive magic in that and yet they're not willing to try it. So it's one of those things where I'm not sure now at this point. I don't know what the best way of dealing with this is. I don't know. For me... For me, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the journey, equally being as frustrated as you for different reasons often, um, and some of the same. But kind of ultimately, I think we've given too much choice. Um, I think in a lot of ways we've given, and therefore that's confusing. I think we've given too much choice and therefore that's confusing. Um, because even though we've provided the same information at different levels, reworded it and reworded it, ultimately, um, I think too many people are used to this Western tradition of um, spoon feeding that we have. And ultimately, a lot of the concepts we talk about cannot be broken down into these kind of like, well, they can, but why should we? These little kind of three minute um, TikTok videos on astrophysics is what I'm kind of thinking of, where they try and break down a concept like, um, we do that constantly um, throughout the programme of things that we provide. And yet still, um, I don't know, there's not enough engagement in it. Um, and I think part of that will be a lot of them are too mundane. In the, A lot of people out there are too mundane in the sense of um, they're so consumed by their mundane life that they don't see how beneficial a magical life is. So I think a lot of them are kind of like, it's a hobby rather than it being truly integrated into their lives. Um, and I think, you know, taking Eglantine Price for as the best example of that is if you want to get results, you really have got to put that much effort in, you know. Um, I think we're kind of selling her a bit short by kind of describing her a widow with nothing to do. Um, like she is more actually closer to these people 
studying for a PhD, no one else is going to give a shit <laughs> about the thing that you're learning, but you're so passionate about it that you are giving every spare moment you have to it. Um, and I think that's the kind of level of engagement that to really do well, you need to. And I think even if people were to think through the stories we've told about various different um, uh, mentees that we've talked about on here over the few years, if you were to go and re-listen through when we've talked about them, we have catalogued their journeys too through the things that we've talked about them. And the ones that are doing the best are the ones that have, you know, given themselves protected time for it. Now, I'm not saying that everyone needs to kind of live and breathe it, because that's probably what I'm going to be accused of. Bearing in mind, both me and you have multiple careers on the go, and yet still manage to not only have a magical life of our own, but enrich those of others through Thoth. Like, you know, yes, we don't have children, and, you know, they can give all those excuses as to why we can achieve more. Um, but actually, it's the quality of the time that we spend doing something with it, rather than what a lot of people might do, which is, well, I've got two hours, I'm going to flick through my, you know, um, this latest shitty book I've bought, or um, spend half an hour on Witch Talk. Like, what are they actually spending that constructed time on? Like, is it taking one thing we said six weeks ago in a podcast they've only listened to once i wouldn't care that you hadn't listened to the latest podcast if you were doing something with the one we did six weeks ago and i think too much is kind of lost on that which is you know they listen to a whole podcast take notes down about all of it and then they move on to that next thing up until next week and then next week the new podcast comes out and they'll have forgotten everything they were dealing with last week because they've now got a whole new list of things that they're going to study and I think sometimes our podcast is treated like a correspondence course when it's not designed that way um, and I'd kind of prefer in some ways if somebody kind of went actually I'm not going to listen to any new podcasts for next two weeks and I'm going to see if I can get everything I can get out of the podcasts that I've just listened to. Because we aren't, you know, there's no time limit on them. They're out there. They're available. Yes, there'll be new ones. You could then binge listen to the next three until you find something that is such a good and gold nugget for you that you then burn out the next three weeks studying on that before you listen to the podcast again um and i don't think they can necessarily control or channel their kind of studying into necessarily what needs to be explored because they often think like with a correspondence course that these all le these letters are written to all of them Whereas what we're actually doing is reaching 40 different mentees in one podcast and lots of people that listen that don't speak with us. Does that make sense? I think that you may potentially be, although I know you would have thought of this, but I'm just playing devil's advocate, maybe wrong with regards to the time limit for the podcast because people are at varying stages in their lives and will die at some point <laughs> so with what they really plan and think that they want to accomplish by the death day many of them won't know when their death day will come of course but it's interesting with regards to how far people want to progress i don't know how many of them have specific goals and such in mind but if they're going about it and attempting to have fun with magic well i'm sorry but many of them are going around the wrong way because in order to have fun with magic you need to 
do stuff and you need to have fun doing it and there doesn't seem to be a huge amount going on i mean the amount of troublesome magical doings the likes of us get up to and sometimes allude to and sometimes outright say both on podcasts and fasty witches and mentoring sessions you'd have thought that that would inspire people to go off and i don't know screw over their neighbor tinker about with their boss but it, a lot of it doesn't seem to happen for many i know that a lot of our mentees do that sort of thing but why wow, the average person doesn't seem to be doing that the average person that i see that visit, visits the, the moocs that i've attended i mean it makes me want to get a gun and shoot myself sometimes because they do nothing and we're not necessarily talking really young people we're talking about people that are supposed to have been in the magical world or adjacent to it and hanging around with magical people and what what have they done attended build group ritual from some Wiccan bullshit. I mean, I don't know. I run out of the energy sometimes to deal with such stupidity and really lack of, not enthusiasm. I wouldn't even necessarily say courage. Lack of ambition, mainly, I think. I don't want to turn that into one of these podcasts where we just bitch about people that are stupid. I want to be a little bit more inspiring than that. <laughs> Which I think Bed Dogs and Broomsticks is a inspiring kind of story. It's about someone that wanted to make a big difference in the physical world and wanted to use magic to do that. Was there a Kill Hitler spell or something like that in the book? No, but there was some kind of spell that she used as inspiration for it, some sort of mm. defense for England, which is the substance issue she well, aerial ultimate, spell. Yeah. And ultimately this kind of you know, it's specifically set at kind of the Second World War for that reason. Mm. You know, is that she's not just doing this correspondence course because she's bored, which is why I said earlier, I feel like we'd be doing her in a disservice if we're to suggest that she's a bored widow. I was Actually, liking it to people that we know. So not necessarily her. No, I know, but I'm kind of like people misunderstand what we say all the time. So I'm yeah. just kind of wanting to make it clear that, you know, we're not trying to sell the point that you've got to give up everything else in order to do well. Actually it's quite the opposite. We're saying that actually if you focus yourself on something specific once you've achieved that you can move on to the next specific thing and for her it was a case of the goal was always she wanted to help with the war effort um and therefore that's the reason she was doing the what she was doing the uh, correspondence course because she wanted to feel more useful than she was currently feeling um and actually i think that that is where there's some great opportunity for learning there is that actually the way in which she wanted to help was not the way that she was expected to help which is what's kind of subtly hinted at at the beginning of the movie where she's you know um, lives out in the countryside and she's got extra room because she's a because she's a widow and therefore dumping all these kids from london on her and that's the way she's expected to help, but that's not enough. You know, she wants to be able to help in a different way that's more meaningful and is more um, kind of direct. Um, you know, and by the end of the movie, that's what you get is seeing her achieve that and what she was expected to do. So for those, for those of them um, listening that kind of, I like, you know, I've got, I've got ex-children or ex-dependents that I have to look after. She manages to do it by taking them on the journey too. Um, that's not always possible, you know, dragging your, you know, 90-year-old mother um, on a, a magical bed to go diving in the ocean is probably not the way forward. Um, but it does kind of give that concept um some some room in thinking about well actually how do you balance that kind of mundane um and the magical 
and still feel like you're making some kind of progress. Um, and I think partly that comes out of being um, constructive about, about the pathway, actually giving yourself kind of setting goals um, and being, what's the word? I can't, um, I don't mean regimented. I mean a word that, disciplined, that's one. Um, I knew it was another military word, but I couldn't think what it was. The You know, um, being disciplined about an achievement um, and how you get to it. And I think that only happens if you're willing to actually give it the time it needs. And I don't, I keep saying that that doesn't mean you need to be a witch, you know, 300 hours every week. If you make it part of your regular routine so that you are always growing with something, um, you know, everybody has dead time in their week, whether or not that's driving somewhere or, or um, you know, when they go shopping or all those kind of mundane shit we have to do. Um, if there are ways for which you to kind of engage that, I know you do most of your podcast listening for other people's podcasts through your kind of drive time um that's not you creating three hours every such and such um in order for you to sit and do it like you know that's you making that time in your in your kind of routine that you already have um and sandwiching learning into into the most constructive part of the week where you have no choice other than um, I can't say I've been very good at that. I'm one of these that likes to block out a couple of hours of time and say, that is for this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Eglantine Price is a stoic individual that shuts the fuck up and gets on with it and doesn't make excuse after excuse. She's the sort of person that would take something like a spell that she needs to master and say, well, I cannot do that because it's inappropriate or I don't feel like doing that or I haven't got the time or I'm not in that situation I don't need to catch the the, the train therefore I'm not going to be adjusting train times using magic instead I'll just take it and I'll adjust the green light at the crossroads or something like that so that I can get to work a little bit quicker she's the sort of person that the, the, the magical folk really need to start thinking about I know magic is one of those things that everyone kind of feels like there is a system and a science behind it. So they cannot tweak the recipe and have to do the exact thing that they're told. Otherwise they won't, it won't manifest and it won't work. Just know that you need to admit that you have no fucking clue what the system is and that you cannot be relying on a book to tell you what the system is. You need to be creating and designing your own system, which you're going to test. That's why we give people a ridiculous amount of choices. And that's why we always did one-on-one -on -one mentoring because it's not us about giving you a magical system or you inheriting a tradition or anything like that. It's about how do you think things work? Let's test them. Now readjust your thought process and ideas of how you think the universe and magic actually works based on what we've just done over the past couple of months. And it's a never-ending process, a never-ending system. It just goes on and on and on as you climb the tree, as you climb up and try new and new, more wonderful, wacky things. And that's entirely up to you which direction you're going to go wandering in. You know, we don't push people to a specific direction and force them to go into it, but they do have a habit of thinking, I'd like to visit the beach today, or I'm going to wander into that forest over there because it looks scary and there's a sign that says I shouldn't be going in it. Hmm. No, I think there's an important thing you said there, which is, you know, I think the they expect that there is a tick list, that they if they do all of the things, then they're done. And I think with Eglintine Price, you get a lot of that, which is um, she's not just ticking the boxes and then moving on to the next one. Um, she's kind of hungry for the next bit and the next bit. 
and she's being drawn towards it. Her whole kind of hope throughout the whole thing is to find this one particular spell. She is obsessed with the idea of of um, augmented kind of reality, this kind of uh, um, what she calls substitutionary locomotion, which is making something inanimate move. Um, and actually the whole the whole journey for her is about finding one spell um because she's that goal orientated in order to find that um whereas i think too many people think they've got to learn all of the basics um and i'm not saying because obviously we spend a lot of time talking about foundationary magic what i mean by that is you don't need to necessarily have mastered everything to get to certain things what you need to understand that this is what balance looked like and then find out what your version of balanced is and i don't think that's always they feel like there is a certain hierarchy of skills that need to be learned whereas actually the reason we talk about natal charts and um and kind of energetic bodies and why we get people to study their own soul is all down to the basis of actually you need to understand where your natural balance is um sorry to refer back to TikTok again but there was a really interesting one that i watched the other day about diabetes which i think is missed on a lot of people um obviously i'm fully aware of this but i just like to watch these things uh, how people like to explain things i'm fascinated um but obviously they were talking about kind of how insulin works but what was really important about this three minute little clip uh, was it was trying to demonstrate that everybody's glucose level at natural normal is different um and what insulin does is get you back to your normal um and that that kind of bit is missed on so many people because possibly because the way we teach science in schools um, is that there is a kind of normal state for things. Um, whereas to me, this is, you know, has always been obvious because the, 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 the natural comparison for me is the kind of like the natural state at which um, something is solid. So kind of, you know, those kind of boiling points and whatever that you're taught at school is they all have different ones. So surely that explains to anybody listening and looking at the elemental, t uh, you know, the um, um, periodic table and looking at, at all those individual elements is going, how do you know that's that? Well, it does this. It's, it's you know, solid at this state, it's a liquid at this state and it's a gas at that state. And therefore that is them classifying and saying, that's what makes, you know, plutonium, plutonium. Um, you know, is because it is these things at these in these conditions. And I think when that gets translated over to magic, somehow people still have this kind of biological way of looking things, which is it has two toes um, and, you know, 25 claws um, and feathers. Like they do this classification that doesn't focus on its kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, atomic state like where it's actually what makes it it and isn't necessarily how it looks um but we have so much of a focus on that and i think i've gone off on a completely different tangent but um i find it fascinating how individuals prioritize what they think they know um Whereas I'm kind of one of those people just assume, you know, believe it or not, assumes I don't know everything, can't possibly ever know every everything. So therefore, I'm constantly wanting to know what the next thing is and the next thing is. Um, but most people don't don't work in that way, I guess. Very true. If you were to create a correspondence course that got sent through the post, Obviously, you don't know who the people on the other end are going to be or anything like that. However, what would the first lesson be? 
Um, well, naturally, I always start with the the kind of um, fire triangle of manifestation. That's kind of my foundational thing. But that's mainly because I feel like people need to learn how to do something before they appreciate anything else. So the quicker you can get them to have an experience of something, um, the quicker that you're likely to get them gripped. So something that is achievable straight away. Um, and to me, that's anything like the, um, you know, orange ball um, manifestation or something like that, that just has some kind of very basic manifestation spell in it. Um, because when soon as somebody feel, feels like they can make something out of nothing, you, you've got them hooked then. So most of them tend to start with some sort of meditation. Oh, I hate I that. The biggest, well, I find it a magical turn-off, a major magical turn-off, not just for me, but for the majority of people, it seems. And yet, and it's a super kind of a cliche, isn't it? But there is a reason that people put like something like that in. But the problem is, is that not everyone knows and can meditate. Yeah. I think my the reason I hate that and that so many books are full of meditations is there is no guaranteed way of you making sure that that happens. Like the little, the orange ball spell, you will get some manifestation of what an orange ball is to you and how, how quick um, or how slow or or how like what you expected to get is is you a very good litmus test at that point to kind of get you to know well what what did I do wrong and then you can redo that experiment and get a different result each time which surely is the most engaging way to start anyone off whereas it whereas a meditation you're telling them what to think and what to do and then them thinking, oh, well, this is what I need to do. And that just one is a massive turn off, particularly if you're like you say, you're not capable of thinking in that way. That's not not capable of meditating, but not capable of doing exactly the instructions that were given, because not everyone's mind's eye works the same way. Um, you know, there's a big amount of the population that actually can't experience mind's eye so i don't know well i suppose that is the end of the podcast will we create in some way shape or form a correspondence course or something eventually who knows many people do those magical boxes i guess don't they you know like the sabbath boxes and various other things We've toyed, we've toyed with that before, but I think the thing that comes down to it for me that hates it is those boxes are about collecting shit you don't need. Yeah, um, they're always about that, aren't they? They're not actually about, you know, I could send you a box that just had a little diagram inside it and you would probably learn more from that if you actually engaged in it. Whereas actually all that these bo monthly boxes is they work from that kind of capitalist idea of I have more stuff than I had last week. Yay. Um, they don't. I, I think if I did a correspondence course, Liam, I think we would have to do it as old penned letters. You see, I love that idea. I also like the idea that you could do scratch testing boxes, but what you do is you send a box full of those empty small jars and they would actually have to go out and dry out ingredients themselves and put them in and fill up those jars up that would be such a you would learn so much more from doing that than you would buy in one of these sabbath boxes where you light a candle and some incense and that sort of thing i don't know maybe that will be the future of thoth at some point who knows i'm not entirely sure yet
the magical dice are a say and a change is on the foot. So we'll see. It's the 150th episode next next week. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Anyone Will listening to this probably should give us suggestions. Yeah, suggestions. Right. That's it for another edition of the Now Hosbard Witchcraft Podcast. Goodbye and good luck. I should warn you that I have been given a brand new black fountain pen and I do intend to use it, which should fill people, certain people's hearts with dread and fear. Bye, everyone. <laughs>